Welcome to the Faith First Advisor Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Shrum, and today we have a much-anticipated episode in store. We found that Christians have many questions about money that they'd like for their pastors to answer, but maybe don't feel comfortable or don't have the access to ask those questions. So today, we talk with the Capitol Hills campus pastor of the Summit Church, John Mueller. All the questions you want to ask your pastor, but haven't. Be sure, guys, to stick around until the end where John answers your listener questions and even gives out a few hair care tips. Remember, if you're in need of a financial advisor who will guide you in investing and managing your money with biblical principles, we're here for you. Visit shrumpw.com or email eric at shrumpw.com to learn more. Without further ado, let's roll the intro. Welcome to the Faith First Advisor podcast, where host and financial advisor Eric Shrum helps Christians align their faith with their finances. To explore more about everything it means to be a steward with the God has given you, visit thefaithfirstadvisor.com. If you would like to explore working with Eric to align your money and investments with your faith, visit shrumpw.com slash faith. That's S-C-H-R-U-M-P-W dot com slash faith. John Muller, welcome to the podcast, brother. Man, thanks for having me, Eric. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to have you on, and I'm excited for, you know, personally to speak to you because I, I like talking to you, but I also think that you have a lot of great stuff to share with uh, people around just how to live their lives in the context of faith, but monetarily as well in a wise way. So as you know, and our listeners know as well, our mission for this podcast is to help our listeners be great stewards of their time, their talent, and of course, their money. And for today, we're going to be discussing, you know, some financial questions that perhaps a lot of our listeners and me as well have been maybe keeping inside because we don't have the confidence perhaps to ask their pastor about. So we'll jump into those. But before we do that, I think there's so much value learning about where someone like yourself came from and hearing your stories. So can you tell us just a little bit about what life was like growing up and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So man, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina called Gilbert, South Carolina. Uh, you really can't get there from anywhere. Uh, you just <laughs> tree and you can't see it. Uh, man, no stoplights in my hometown. Only two places to eat. Wow. Joey's sandwich and Bill's Grill. And Bill's Grill had cheeseburgers the size of your head. And Love it. If, uh, if you wanted to let the town know who you were dating, you took your girl to Bill's Grill. <laughs> that was the Facebook, uh, it, Facebook official. That's right. That's right. If you wanted to make things official or I'm <laughs> going steady, you know, things like that. So, man, grew up in a small town, uh, very uh, typical southern small town, right? Okay. And, um, man, my dad uh, and my mom. Uh, man, just incredible folks. My dad was a pastor as mm -hmm. well, but my mom was a real big spiritual influence in my life. And uh, she would tell me all the time, because uh, I was a little boy, and how in the world do you control little boys? She would just say, John, God can't bless sin. And so <laughs> I knew by 8 a.m. every day that I was uh, done for, because I knew I had just done too much, or I didn't want to listen to her. I didn't want right. to listen dad. I knew that I was indebted to God. And so I took that and used that as a works-based theology. And mm. I saw, okay, God, I'm going to do this for you. You do this for me. And it was a quid yeah. pro quo, right? Mm -hmm. And man, that honestly worked until I was a junior in college. And I was doing all these things for God. And then God would do all these things for me, whether it's uh, grades, athletics, career job, opportunities, mm -hmm fill in the blank, right? Yeah. And by his grace, man, he let those things fall through and he let those mm -hmm. things just dissipate away and really for no reason. And then, man, um, I saw that. I saw all these other guys that were doing the things I wanted to do, getting the mm -hmm. things I wanted to have. And I said, okay, well, and they weren't following God. And so I said, well, mm -hmm. I'm going to go after them. And I'm going to go after that because they look happy and I'm not. I'm over here miserable trying to work myself out of a debt to God. Yeah. Right. 
Man, just in God's grace, I got involved in a Bible study that taught me about the God of grace and a God of, and a God of love. And man, it was August of 2003. I was sitting in my dorm room and it was kind of like God and I were having a conversation sitting across my desk from one another. And I just said, God, here's every reason not to love me. Here's everything I've ever done, everything I've ever wanted to do, everything I ever uh, would do. You know, here are all the things. Like, if you're not going to love me, I can't work for your love. I can't earn it. I can't do it. I didn't have the framework and the words then to articulate what I'm doing now, but I couldn't earn God's love. And so, man, uh, God just took his hand, wiped all those things away and said, I know, John. And that's why I sent my son to die for you. And man, Eric, to be known completely and loved completely, that changes you. Like it just changed you, man. It gave me this freedom and it was like this weight was lifted off of my life and experiencing grace and mercy at the same time combined in the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah, man, to be known completely and loved completely. Right. I mean, God knew everything about me and still chose to send his son to die for me and wanted me and that I couldn't earn it and that his son earned it. So man, that just changed my life. And I was playing football at the time in college. And man, I just started beating on my teammates doors and telling them about Jesus and about what happened to me. And how did that come across? Uh, man, a little weird to them, right? (laughs) Or they were like, all right, John, cool, man. Hey, you want to play Halo? You know, like, yeah. uh, or like, man, let's go out, you know? And it's like, man, just my whole desires and taste and world had changed. Yeah. And so, man, I'm just sharing with them almost uh, like in the Bible, the woman at, at the well says, come mm-hmm. and listen to the man who tell, told, told my whole life story. And so it's like, man, come and see, like, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what happened to me. And so, man, it's awesome, guys. Come to Christ. I got involved in a college ministry called Campus Outreach. Okay, yeah was discipled through, that was the Bible study that I was in, was discipled there, learned how to walk um, with God, learned how to intake the word of God, pray, study, read scripture, share my faith, those kinds of things, learn how to reproduce myself and make Mm -hmm. disciples. And then man went on staff with Campus Outreach for about eight years. And so uh, was the team chaplain of the Coastal Carolina football team for four to five years. Then was at College of Charleston for two to three years. And Uh, man, then Ashley and I just began to pray, God, what do you want us to do with our lives? And we mm-hmm. felt a call into full-time ministry. It's not somewhere I ever wanted to go because my dad was a country pastor and, mm-hmm. and they're the heroes of the faith. And um, I saw he and my mom live a fulfilled life, but, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, we weren't uh, making millions, right? And right. Uh, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take my degrees and I'm going to go to law school or I'm going to go here and I'm going to have a yacht for John and a yacht for (laughs) Jesus, right? Like I'm going to be the guy that has the mountain house that I can drop into the pastor's hand and say, hey, why don't you take the wife and kids up up there for a week or two, you know, or the beach house (laughs) or the place in the Bahamas, you know, that's me, man. And uh, (laughs) God just changed those plans and, uh, man directed Ashley and I up here. And so we came on staff to, with the summit church in October of 2014. And wow. so next month we'll be up here six years. And I've been the campus pastor since July, 2015. And man, we love it. What's nuts is um, what I was making in the bu- business world at the time mm-hmm. uh, was significantly more than what I was making on staff with campus outreach. Cause mm-hmm. I take, taking a sales job and, uh man was just doing well and yeah. um man it's funny Ashley and I prayed about okay what's the bottom line that we have to make in order to make this work and that's right. and that's what I was offered for my first role here and so we're like wow. hey God like we're gonna trust you you know we're gonna go back to orange juice being the luxury and the necessity <laughs> you know and, wow but man, no, we are uh, blessed, well taken care of here. And uh, yeah, man, so been on staff here six years. And then, uh, man, as you know, moved from North Raleigh and we're now the Capitol Hills camp. Yeah. So we love RDU, man. We lived in Charleston, South Carolina before this. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't miss the sand gnats, the humidity. Yeah. Uh, what they call the noceums down there, which are just little bugs that you can't see. So in a very Southern way, they just combine three words. <laughs> And you can't see them. And so they call them no, no seals. We don't miss that at all. And nope. uh, man, we love North Carolina. We love being close, you know, within two hours of mountains and the beach. So yeah, man, that's great. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I remember going to Charleston as a teenager for the first time, and I grew up in Florida, so you know I know what humidity and heat is like. Yeah. It's dude, Charleston is was the most oppressive humidity I've so, experienced in my life. It's insane. Yeah, man. Yeah, we used to call it because um, we would have two days in August and September. Yeah, yeah. We would call it the Charleston choke. Because it would just choke the life. It's oppressive, man. Um, yeah, it's just, oh, man, it's awful. I don't miss that at all. I tell, tell my wife, I want to keep moving north. Yeah. <laughs> what colder weather and no humidity. So That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm glad you shared that and shared your story of coming to faith. And I did not know that uh, about you. But, yeah. you know, when we talk about finances, right, and stewarding our possessions, I mean, it's a byproduct of the faith, right? It's an outcome that is first realized by the grace that we've received. And I think that those can get switched very easily. Once you become a believer and you've been kind of established in your faith, then you start saying, oh, I need to do all these things again, right? Um, Whereas it should all come back to to the gospel, right? And, and going deeper into that. And then we can start talking about money and, and other things in life and what it looks like to live a Christian life. But uh, it, all, it all goes back to works unless it's rooted in the right place, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. So tell me about, you know, you said you grew up in a small Southern town. What was money like growing up and how did that kind of influence how you, how you thought about money? Obviously, you, you started off kind of wanting to get in the business world and do do well for yourself as far as finances are involved. What was that like? Man, uh, my mom and dad did a great job teaching me the value of a dollar and the difference between needs and wants, right? And man, we even stewarded our birthdays or, you know, um, Mother's Day, Father's Day. And I would watch my mom and dad pattern this, that my mom wouldn't get what she wanted. She would get a new iron, right? Or <laughs> she would get new uh, dish towels or yeah. a towel for the bathroom or a new rug, you know? And so she got things that she needed. And yeah. so what they did was, man, was steward those times um, and uh, steward their resources and I watched them. I mean, I remember as a kid filling out my tithing envelope every Sunday morning and putting a dollar in it. And Mm. so they taught me these principles and I watched them, like I watched them be generous, not only to the church, but to others. And so I I watched them and I would see, and um, you know, man, we, um, we valued a dollar. We were never a slave to it. And Mm. money was never talked about as something that we lacked, right? Right. Right. Never was something that we lacked. My mom never said things like, we can't afford that. No, we're not going to do that. She would explain to me how her and my dad stewarded their finances. And that's why we're not going to purchase that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if my sister and I wanted some something, she wouldn't say, no, we can't afford that. And so what she would say is, hey, instead of buying that, here's what we are doing. And what we're doing with you. And man, I watched them invest in the right things and I watched them talk about the right, right things. I mean, they started me a bank bank account when I was 15 and and taught me to begin to steward that and taught me the discipline of giving and Mm -hmm. joy of it. Right. And man, I watched them, you know, I would see my dad and, you know, stick uh, money in people's hands or I would see them, you know, I would see my mom cut a check to somebody. And then I knew every Sunday they were putting that check in the offering plate as it was passed, you know, man, I watched this and I saw it. And so I honestly, Eric, I wasn't aware that, uh, we were middle class or whatever you want to call call us until I went yeah. to college. You know, mm-hmm. like I wasn't aware because there just, just weren't those labels. And it's not something we talked about. We never talked about what we lacked. We talked about yeah. what we had and what to do with what we had. Yeah. And man, it was just, I was very, very blessed to grow up into that. And at the same yeah. time, I mean, man, there was a desire for me to go and get an education um, mm-hmm. only because, man, you know, education is something that can't be taken from you. And so, uh, man, my sister's a pharmacist. um, And uh, man, so, you know, we've both done well 
for ourselves and gotten secondary degrees and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. was thought the value of that, but it was never, if you get this degree, if you do um, all these things, then you'll be able to buy whatever you want. You'll be able to do whatever you want. And, right. and my mom and dad, uh, you know, weren't the ones that said, okay, as soon as you can, you know, uh, drive, you're going to get a job. Like they took care of us and they said, we're going to provide for you and you're going to go to school and you're going to go to camps. I mean, my sister had the grades to get a college education paid for. I had the grades and Mm -hmm. uh, a minimal athletic uh, talent to get my school (laughs) paid for. And so, man, but it was, it was that investment that I saw my mom and dad put in the time to send us to camps or send yeah. us to learn, right? And yeah. get us those things. And so, yeah, man, that was my view of it growing up. Money was never a, a thing to me. I remember, so I would work in summertime and then, you know, couldn't work during the school school year when I went, right. when I went to college. And so my mom taught me with the money I got from graduation, she said, all right, this is going to be a budget for the next year. Mm-hmm. And here's what you're going to uh, be able to pay a week. Here's what you're mm-hmm. going to be able to do a week. And man, I think it was, I could allot myself $50 a week for the school year of spending money. And that's, you know, if I wanted to go out to eat or yes. what, whatever, but 10 of that was tithe. And my mom taught yeah. me that. And my mom was like, you know, but 10 of this needs to be tithe. And it never, I never thought to go, wait, that's not 10%, you know? Um, But I thought, all right, because even I, even though I wasn't a Christian, I understood that my money is the Lord's and it's, and it's, and so I would go sit in the back of this church uh, before I became a Christian and I would drop 10 bucks in the offering plate every week. If I missed, mm-hmm. I would drop 20 in the next. Right. Um, right. But uh, you know, man, and so it was just something that uh, money was never talked about as the goal or um, what we need to chase after. Yes. Man, even talking with you now, I'm processing that in a way that uh, I really haven't before, but yeah, man, it, we were never, we never talked about not having things. We talked about what to do with what we do have. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I think for parents who are listening to you tell that story of your upbringing right now and how your family interacted with money, I think that's a great lesson. I'm always blown away by how much people's parents and upbringing dictates how they act as an adult. And the way that they showed you how to wisely and conscientiously use money as a tool and not a means to an end, uh, I think is something our listeners can take home and and apply to their kids and the way they parent. Uh, You mentioned something, and let's just jump into some of these questions um, here. You mentioned something around tithing and that you had set up tithing uh, as part of your regular rhythm in life from an early age. And I think that's a very good thing, even if you're not making a lot, like for kids coming out of college and they're not making a bunch of money, even if they start giving right when they get out of college and start getting a paycheck, it sets that foundation uh, for the rest of their life. And this question really came from um, Randy Alcorn's Managing God's Money, if you've read that book. And he goes into tithing and he's like, you know, tithing isn't found in the New Testament, right? But he's like, it's still a good idea to do. Uh, but I know a lot of people look at tithing and they say, well, isn't that like putting ourselves under the yoke of the law? Where do you think tithing fits into a believer's finances and how should we think about that? Is it legalism? Yeah, man. So that's that's a great question. And it, I mean, to draw on my own story again, before I was a Christian, I tithed for something. After I was a Christian, I tithed from something. And the distinction there is I gave gave before because I didn't want to go broke. I'm like, no, no, (laughs) it's that quid pro quo, right? Like, God, I'm giving this to you and I'm expecting something from you. Yeah. So I tithe for the favor of the Lord. I tithe for his affirmation and his blessings. I gave to him because I didn't want want to withhold from him out of fear. Right. of wanting God to bless me and wanting God to not, you know, strike me dead with a lightning bolt. Not that he yeah. does that. By <laughs> it's not Greek mythology, but, um, but man, so there's difference in tithing for something and tithing from something. Right. And it's easy to say it's the heart, but it is the heart, Eric. Like legalism, you're trying to earn something. 
Mm. Grace is you live from some something. Mm. So whenever I say tithe from something, that from is the gifts and the grace and the life that I have been given from God. And so uh, the the distinction is when I tithe from the favor of the Lord, I'm freed up and I'm returning to him what he has already given to me out of right. his gracious and overwhelming love. And so I'm giving back to God what is already his, because you've heard this before, it is his. And yeah. so man, I'm just giving him back because of he's given me so much out of his pattern of generosity towards me. And that he has given to me his life and salvation mm-hmm. and all of these things. So I'm tithing from the love of God, not for the love of God. Yes. And man, it's, you know, it's very much probably like you, Kristen, you are motivated to do things for her because of how incredible and wonderful she is. And mm-hmm. so you don't love her to get something from her. You love her because of everything she has given to you and who she is, right? And so it's benevolent love. And so, man, yeah, if is it legalism or is it grace driven? I guess that would be the opposite of that. And it's a matter of the heart. So it's a matter of the heart and that are you tithing or giving for something or are you giving from something? Man, fantastic. I love that. I think that's so valuable uh, to distinguish. Uh, When it comes to the tithe, 10% is the number that's thrown out because it's taken from the Old Testament. And and I have thoughts on this, but I'm curious, uh, where do you think that 10% fits in? Do you think it's a good uh, kind of baseline to aim your giving at? uh, Or do you think it's more of a, a fluid give what you can type situation as far as how we view our giving? Yeah, man. I, I think, I think, I mean, I'm careful. Uh, the only absolute, I will speak <laughs> ripture, right? But yeah. man, I think tithing should never be the ceiling of your giving. It should be the floor. And so right. 10% should not be the goal, but it should be starting point. Mm-hmm. And so it should be uh, given. And then what more can I give on top of that? And so yeah. that should not be this, um, mark that you hit and you feel okay with. Um, but it's, man, that's where you start and you move from there, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. Jesus has freed us from the law and, and man, Jesus left us under no part of the law, not the tithe or anything else. Right. But the law, um, and that it reflects God's character and his ordering of creation is still good. And it still functions as a guide, right. To how we yeah. are to live under God in this world. And so, Man, we see this uh, throughout the Bible with uh, men and women, including Abraham and Jesus. And so, mm-hmm. man, it is a guide for us. And um, the idea of the 10% is a good guide to our giving. Um, and man, giving 10% of all that God gives us um, is given for us to give back to him, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, for me, that's a starting point, not a destination. Yeah, I, I agree with you, John. And I think that when we ha- lay out just a, a basic rule and give in general, but you know, hitting that 10%, I think it, it helps us with viewing stewardship as it's not ours, right? It is God's. It, it helps our minds and our hearts just realize that fact that you know, God has given us his possessions because the world is his and all that's in it. And we're simply stewards and we get to use our call to, to steward and use the possessions he's given us as a tool. So, you know, we, we've been talking a little bit about your upbringing and, and how you relate to money, but now you find yourself, man, you're a pastor of a, I mean, Capitol Hills campus is, is a big campus by, by most churches regards. And there's a lot of people um, who attend and I'm always blown away, man, by just how, how you know everybody and <laughs> you, you know their names, their faces, what's going on in their life. And I think that that is pretty cool. But you've gone to, uh, I mean, you're, you kind of are a shepherd, not kind of, you are a shepherd for this church body. What's it like sitting across from families and individuals and they've got money questions and money problems? And uh, what is it like and what's the kind of the sentiment in the church when around finances and how do you see the body? Yeah. How do, how do they interact with money? 
Yeah, man. Yeah. And so I would say, I mean, Summit Church is probably like any church in that it's filled with people. And, man, people, our hearts, I believe it was Tim Keller that said, our hearts are idol-making factories. Mm -hmm. And so we desperately want to be God of our own lives. We desperately want, like the Israelites, something to be God besides God. And that is our natural bend. That is our flesh. And so our hearts are going to create idol-making factories. And we read Satan's headlines, man. We read Satan's headlines that our identity is found in how much wealth we amass, that our Mm -hmm. security is found in how much wealth we amass, or that we are loved if we are significant. And significance comes from our bank account or our portfolio. and. We have worth or purpose or fulfillment there. And so, man, we believe those things and we read those headlines because that's everywhere in the world. I mean, man, you jump on Instagram and you're seeing people fly around the world and take cool pictures and you're like, how in the world can they afford that? You know? Yeah. Man, I'm less than them because I can't pay to fly around the world and do that, right? Or you yeah. see companies or, man, you know, especially during the first market downturn of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and you saw really that was an exposure of where we put our trust and where yeah. we put our dependency at. And so, man, I would say Summit Church is like anyone in that it's filled with people who our hearts love to create idols. And so, man, giving is a spiritual discipline. Generosity is a spiritual discipline that does not come naturally to us. Mm-hmm. Being benevolent, being compassionate, all the fruits of the spirit do not come naturally to us. Our hearts wake up every day bent inward on ourselves, bent yeah. towards our plans, our desires, our goals, our mission. And so our hearts are desperately wicked. They are wandering. I mean, I love the song prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave that throne above. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for that courts above, you know? And so in that, man, we need some, we need God to seal our heart to kind of lock it away or else it's going to wander. And so, man, as I sit across from folks, the issue giving is not um, people disagree with the principle. It's do they trust God with their lives? Do they ultimately trust God or do they trust their financial advisor? Do they trust themselves? And a good tell of this is your checkbook, man. Like your checkbook, you started off this pod by saying, we really want to see people glorify God with their time, talent, and treasure. Like, man, those things, that time is our, you know, most valuable resource next to our paycheck, right? And so, man, you can take someone's checkbook, or we don't have checkbooks anymore, so you would have (laughs) e-bank statement, right? You can take their e-statement, and you can see who they trust. You can see what they value. You can yeah. see what they give their hearts to by seeing what they give their money to. Or you can see what God they are serving, whether it's a God of significance, the God of security, or the God of the approval of man. And so you can see that by where they spend their money. And so, man, as, as I talk to folks, it's, it's really a lordship issue. Mm. Who is Lord of their lives? And a telltale sign that you can't hide from is what do you do with the money God has given to you? How do you yeah. spend that? And so, yeah, man, that's what I try to get down to. Um, because the question is not how much is enough, which is what everybody wants to know, right? Like we yeah. want to know, well, how much is enough? Where is the line? And yeah. that's the question to ask. But question to ask is what do I do and how do I put Jesus first in what I do have. Yeah. What does that look like? Because for you and Kristen, that's that's gonna look principally the same as it does for Ashley and I, but probably different in how we spend our time, talent, and treasure. So same principles, but how you put God first is going to look different practically perhaps than it would for us. And so man, what I do is we try to dive to the heart, man, and try to get it and see the lordship issue who is lord of their life and what are they trusting in man that's great wisdom uh how do we combat is, do you have any like one or two practical ideas for combating this kind of materialism 
and it's a buzzword in the church, but it's true. I feel it in my own life and in my own heart being surrounded by measuring my worth by the things I'm able to do or how much I make or possessions. Do you have one or two thoughts on some practical steps we as the body can take to move away from that being our idol and a right heart of how we should be thinking about our lives? These are going to sound cheesy. And so I can only speak for what has worked for me because man, I mean, look, I'm on Instagram scrolling through and all of these companies that I follow are hitting me with their new fall lines, right? Like their new fall, everything. I'm like, I need yeah. to buy those, those boots. I need that jacket. I need And you've got some good style too. Yeah. <laughs> but man, and I'm not even going out anywhere <laughs> right, right, right now, right? Like I just want to buy them to have them, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and so man, like honestly, um, having a, having a daily Bible reading plan, getting in the word of God, having a prayer journal, like that would be the first thing is, man, when we are saturating our hearts with the word of God, who through the Holy Spirit, he has spoken to us. So when we're saturating our hearts and our minds and our eyes with the word of God, one of the, um, one of my favorite passages of scripture is Joshua 1, 1 through 9. And Joshua 1, 8 and 9 says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Yeah. And so it says day and night because when we wake up in the morning, our hearts want to run. We need to spend yeah. time with God. Then life will happen to us during the day. That's why we've got to meditate on it at night to recenter our hearts and rest because yeah. that's where we truly find rest. And so, man, spending time in God, God's word, spending time in prayer. And then next is, is community, mm-hmm. is being in a community of believers. I know that you're in an incredible small group here. And so, yeah. man, yeah. being in a community of like-minded people who you see their lives and you see how they're spending their time, how they're spending their treasure. And you see that and you see that they are being generous with what they have been given from God. It spurs you on to be right. Mm -hmm. It spurs you on. And so it also holds you accountable. Godly community is like bumper bowling, you know, like you may be about to throw the ball into gutter, but because there is a bumper there, you will always yeah. knock down some pins. <laughs> you're probably a way that. better. Yeah, man, you're probably a way better bowler than I am. But uh, man, not, like, not, not so much. But <laughs> <laughs> but man, I I uh, I don't own my own ball or anything. You know, that thing for me is I probably about tear my rotator cuff every time I go. <laughs> they put up how fast you throw it, and yeah. so. That's all I fo- focus on. <laughs> oh man, I haven't been in a few years. But that's community. Yeah. Community keeps you from running your life into gutters. Yeah. And, and man, it's so I would say time with God, saturating your heart and your life with Him in prayer, community. But then, man, just some practical things is you've got to have a budget. I love Dave, Ram- Dave Ramsey's yeah. principle of you've got to spend every dollar and yeah. spend every dollar. And yeah. so then you've got to be able and understand how to make a budget or you won't know where money is going and you won't be able to be generous. There was yeah. a young pastor that I talked to a few years ago and we were just walking through his life. And I, you know, I talked to him about his time with God and his community. And then I was like, man, how's your generosity? Because usually when our eyes move off of God, they move on to the waves of life. Right. And mm-hmm. we can cost about. And he's like, man, it's good. I'm like, well, do you know the percentage? And he's like, no, no, I really don't. Well, man, he goes and checks and his bank account had not been drafting his tithe for an entire year. Wow. He didn't know because he was not watching his budget. And so, man, and so that was just a stewardship principle of, you just missed out on a whole year of putting God first. Now he thought he was right, but he also didn't understand why he had so much left over at the end of the month. He just thought it was because he ate box macaroni and cheese every day. <laughs> and, um, and so man, talking with him about that, um, you can see that a bu- budget is necessary. It also helps people reveal to them what they put first in their lives. Yes. Because they see where they're spending. When you see it on ink, on paper, you really sorry. That's my son losing his mind because he's <laughs> no about, worries. 
they're about about to eat. So um, you see where every dollar is going. And man, yeah. that's that's a convicting time, right? And then you're able to plot, plot out a plan of how you want to be generous or how you want to steward your finances. Yeah, that's great. And that principle of budgeting, you know, Dave is fantastic. He has that every dollar app, I know. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people think that that principle is if you are uh, maybe less established financially, but even if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars and have millions in the bank, it's still important to have a budget and know where that money is going because uh, it's like a business would not operate without knowing where the money that's coming in is, is leaving. And, and I think it's important for all spectrums of the wealth, uh, the wealth map out there. And maybe we can talk about, and I, I know we've been talking for a little bit, so I want to respect your time and we've got a, a few uh-huh. more questions here, John, but let's talk to those folks who are maybe more established and, you know, John Piper talks about this and, and we don't have to get into his position, but it, it kind of prompted the thought. And it's an interesting question. Uh, a lot of the work that I do as an advisor is helping clients plan and invest for their future, for their retirement. And as Americans, we kind of have this quintessential retirement dream, right? Being financially independent, being able to stop working or work optional, if you want to say. There's even like the fin- financial independence, retire early, fire movement these days. Uh, you know, move to Florida, sit on a beach. <laughs> Can you cast a picture of what maybe a more gospel-focused retirement could look like? Is that quintessential American retirement dream antithetical to how we should be thinking about our future and post-full-time working years? One, I mean, it's not, you can't find that in the Bible, right? Right. And and what I mean is you can't find this, let's move to Florida and kick up our heels, right? Um, now, man, I am all for working hard, uh, and the Bible is clear on being wise stewards and saving and being smart about your finances. I would say one of the things I love about Summit Church is that we ask every college grad and every retiree, give us your first two years after. Yeah. So every retiree, give us your first two years of retirement and go overseas, spend time, go help us plant a church locally, domestically, or internationally. Spend your time investing in the kingdom of God. Take the wealth that you have been given, take the influence and the freedom that you have been given and steward that for the mission of God. Now, there are people like my mom who retired to take care of her mom. Mm. and her bro- brother when he was still here. And so um, those things I don't think are uh, dishonorable by any means, right? And so man, she did what she had to do to be able to take care of her family. But we have, we have people at our church, Eric, that are retired, that God had blessed in the business world, and they worked hard, and they retired either in their 50s, early 60s. Mm. And they spend time every year going and seeing our international church missionaries and just spending time with them, encourage them. So they spend time every year going to see these missionaries. So instead of buying a home in Florida, they say, okay, we're going to take four weeks and we're going to fly around the world and we're going to go here and we're going to see them and we're going to encourage them or we're going to move here with the church plant for Mm. two years and we're gonna we're gonna invest there because we've got time we've got free freedom and so man having a beach house is not wrong having a place in florida is not wrong having um working for retirement is not wrong that is not a Mm -hmm. bad bad thing but yeah just like we ask of our lives um it's like we ask of our lives god what do you want us to do here we need to ask that of our retirement god what do you want us to do here and so, God, how do you want me to spend that? How do you want me to invest my life? Because Paul talks about the race. Mm. Race doesn't end at retirement. Like the race ends when we are standing before the Lord yeah. and we have passed on from this life to the next. And so, man, that's what I would say to that is, again, it's a matter of the heart, right? Like nothing is wrong with moving to floor, floor, 
Florida and praise yeah. God for, for that because yeah. there are lost people there. Right. And so right. I think it's how do we steward our life, time, talent, and treasure well while we are here on this earth for the mission of God. Now, a disclaimer or a caveat that I'll throw out is that's also a defeatist mentality to have because then you could say, well, why are you drinking Starbucks instead of Folgers, right? Like, or why, John, did you buying um, steak instead of just eating rice and beans? Like, why are you doing that? And so you can go too far with it and it can become legalistic, right? Mm -hmm. It's got to be Holy Spirit led. But that's what I would say, man, about the American retirement dream is that um, how do you steward that? How do you look biblically? at what God has called us to do with our lives. And then how do you do that in those years? How do you steward the freedom and the time and talent treasure that God has given to you? Then? Fantastic. Thanks for that, John. Uh, we've got two more questions and these are actually listener questions. And the first one is, I'd love to hear John talk about spiritual guilt <laughs> around giving right now. Oh man. We know we're supposed to give our first and best to God. <laughs> But how do we reconcile our fear towards giving in uncertain times with coronavirus, all this, you know, economic uncertainty? Yeah, man. Any thoughts, man? It's a big question. So. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun one, you know? Um, man, I would say um, God has called us to trust him. And the um, one of the primary ways we trust him is with our talents. And, man, I would even... Look, look at um, the widow's offering in Mark, Mark 12, 41 through 44, where um, Jesus is sitting there with his boys and he sees that a lot of rich people are coming in and they're giving out of what's left over and they're giving out of the overflow, if you will. But then widow comes in and she drops two mites or two little small copper coins in and mm-hmm. Jesus says um, that, look, this poor widow has put in more than all of those others who are contributing to the offering bias because they contributed out of their abundance. But Mm -hmm. she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Yeah. And so what we see there is a principle of putting God first. We trust him first because our trust is not in our bank account. It's not in this economy. It's not in the market. It's not in investors. Our trust is in the Lord. And so the principle there is they gave out of the overflow. They gave out of abundance. It was easy for them to give because their needs were taken care of. But this widow was trusting God with her needs and being faithful and giving back to God what he is given to her. And that's what God has called us to do. God has called us to trust him with our needs. And when we continue to give, it's easy to give when it's easy, when it's abundant, when the market's doing great, but it's harder to give when you have to say no to yourself, or even you don't know um, what the next month or the next year is going to look like. And so the principle with this widow is that she gave all that she had to live on and trusted God to sustain her. And so again, it's the trust issue that, we don't look and go, all right, because of uncertain times, I need to scale back. It's no, we trust God in these uncertain times, just like we trust him in abundant times. Yeah. So I don't think as long as your financial situation has not changed, that you should change your theology on giving based right. on what the economic times are. Right. I love it. That's uh, that's good practical advice for right now. Last listener question. This is another big one. So we'll, we'll caveat that, you know, we have limited time to answer these, but why should a Christian give support or invest in churches and ministries internationally when there's so much need locally? Yeah. So the, the heart is to give, right? Like the goal is to give the goal is for, God to be first in our lives. J, JD says this all the time. If giving here offends you, then give somewhere else. Yeah. Um, because the goal is that you give. The goal is that you're generous. The goal is that you trust God with your 
finances. There are people on both sides of this. So do I give to the church? What about this ministry here? What about locally here? What are we doing here? And so, man, again, it is um, something for the individual to pray through. I would say you give to the church first because the church is the bride of Christ. The church is God's plan A for the mission of God in our world. And so the church is who Jesus died for and we are called to preserve and to present holy to God. And so the church is the bride of Christ. And so in giving to her, you are, saying that you trust God, but also that the needs of those there are met. You know, so many of the one another commands in the New Testament are bear with one another, love one another. And so, man, we see that that one another is the church first. The reason there's a one another there is because the one another is identified. Right. And so it's, we're also called to be generous outside of the church. Um, but, you know, it talks about in Acts 2 that they gave to one another as they had need. Right. That's and so right. it was a group that they knew of. And so, man, right. giving to the church, not only are you exemplifying God first in your life, but also you are allowing the church to use those to meet the needs of the church. Right. And, and the community, you know, I'm, I know so many churches like Summit also are benevolent to the community and to the needs of people in the community. So practically, you know, there might be needs that you personally don't know about that the church does, you know, whether somebody needs help with their rent or somebody needs help um, paying a, a bill of any kind. And so, man, all of those things that the church can look, look at and val- evaluate that. But I would say that first, I, Ashley and I give um, and have outside of the church, but we give to the church first because that's the bride of Christ. And then, man, I worked for a parachurch ministry. And so, man, I understand the val- val- value of people giving there. Right. Fantastic. John, thank you for answering those. I know these are questions that that people have. And so I think it's going to be very helpful to just have a sounding board like yourself who has such wisdom to dig in a little bit on these topics. I've got a quick rundown, man, on some more fun questions to end us off. We'll We'll take a minute just to run through these. And the first one is, I think this is actually, I asked Adam Burt, our last guest, this question as well. And I might ask everybody this question because I think it's the best question you can ask somebody to really get to know them. You're on a road trip. You stop at a gas station and it's a good gas station. It's like a Wawa, something like that. Go inside. What are you picking up for your snack? Man, and it's a road trip. It's a, it is a greater than one hour car ride. All right. Um, is this vacation or is this like a trip to see friends or a trip to see family? This is a, this is a a trip to at the minimum see friends and family. So it's not necessarily like, Hey, we're going to go, going to go nuts here, but who is John Muller? What kind of thing does he get at a gas station? And so on to say everyday road trip, not an indulgent trip. Um, Just on an average road trip, I'm going to get, uh, probably beef jerky and and a water. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. Beef jer- very simple. Um, will sustain me so I don't show up to wherever I'm going starving. <laughs> uh, and I don't immediately ask for water whenever I get there. There you go. You heard it here first, first folks, water <laughs> and beef jerky. And, you know, Adam Burt, he's a, um, he was an NHL player, big fitness guy, and he said protein bar and some coffee. So uh, a little health conscious here, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll get some junkies on it at some point. Uh, next, guys, for people who are listening who don't know this, John has some of the, uh, you know, how do I say this, but some of the most uh, fantastic hair overall in North Carolina. And last time we talked about this, you mentioned that you, you shampooed once a week and, and conditioned <laughs> twice a week. What's the hair care uh, routine these days? Yeah, man. Yeah. So I actually just went and got it cut uh, yesterday wow. and, um, for the first time since last October. <laughs> so, 
I look like a frayed mop. Um, <laughs> but uh, my my guy at the hair salon told me that I need to wash more than once a week. And so, man, right now he's giving me this like scalp treatment um, <laughs> that he says that I have to actually reverse the way the hair lays. Okay. So as I'm washing my hair, I have to actually move my fingers to reverse the way the hair lays to stimulate health and blood flow. Ah. Yeah. And so right now, man, I'm washing the hair probably every other, other day. Um, I condition more in the wintertime because your hair dries out. So mm -hmm. I haven't been conditioning a lot because it's been so hot and it make, makes your hair greasy. But come that first cool night, first cool week we'll have in October, I'll probably be conditioning maybe two times a week. Don't want it to be too oily. We're not barbarian. Sure, sure. And uh, so that's where we're at. <laughs> Perfect. That's, you know, that's the important questions we got right. to address right. here. Last one, man. And this is how we end all our shows. What's God been teaching you uh, lately? Maybe today in his word or just a season? What, uh, what's he been teaching you? I really feel this call is pushed to be content. Mm. Be content where I'm at. So much I have been wanting to get out of the phase of life that I'm in or move past maybe a season of suffering that I'm in or mm. move past the coronavirus and move past everything that has caused maybe hurt, pain, or inconvenience. And I want to get past those things and get back to life as normal or move past the hurt or past the grief or past the pain. And uh, man, I've really felt a call and a move from God to just be content in where I'm at, trust him with where I'm going and what he's going to do there because he's already in it. And so that contentment, man, praying for that contentment and pushing in my prayers with my family and by myself to thank God for what I have, not look at what I don't have or look at where I'm not, but thank God for where he has me and what he has given to me in this time and not look at, you know, man, all, all the things that um, others have or, you know, um, man, the way life was before COVID and the way it is now and trying to just get out, out of that, but to be with him in it. So man, yeah, that's, you can tell it's not fully formed. Like I'm just, I'm processing that currently with God. That's fantastic, man. John, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Yeah, man. Glad to do it. Appreciate y'all and uh, thank, thankful for what you're doing here, man. All right. A big thank you to John Muller for his time and sharing his wisdom with us. If you or someone you know is interested in investing and managing your wealth with biblical principles, contact Eric at shrumpw.com or visit www.shrumpw.com to learn more. And we will be back in two weeks with the next episode of the Faith First Advisor podcast. The content provided is for general information, educational purposes only, and should not be considered a recommendation of any particular strategy, investment product, or investing advice of any kind. Content is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal or tax advice and or legal opinion. Please consult a financial professional for your specific situation. Investing involves risk, including the loss of the entire principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views and opinions expressed here are of the author and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Spire Wealth Management, LLC, and its affiliates. Invest advisory services offered through Spire Wealth Management LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Securities offered through an affiliate Spire Securities LLC, a registered broker, dealer, and member of FINRA and SIPC.